We have hope. Hope that things can get better. And they will. Alright, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome back to the Bizzlecast. It is late August of this um, as of this recording, uh, possibly early September as of the release, um, and uh, this is a quick announcement podcast, which is that I have decided to go back to my roots. Uh, originally, Mizzlecast was called Cast, which I still think is a brilliant name and I might still use, uh, and it was uh, a Star Wars podcast, but it was specifically talking about philosophical and cultural issues relating to Star Wars. Now, this was early 2015. I'd been planning the podcast for a while. Uh, The Force Awakens had... Oh, shit. Had The Force Awakens come out? No. None of the new movies had come out. Holy shit. So, the new movies hadn't come out. We knew they were. I was totally hooked in the first teaser trailer for The Force Awakens. And and, uh, despite its flaws and its mimicry of the original Star Wars uh, movie and Star Wars trilogy, uh, because of the characters and some great dramatic and comedic writing, is just so lovable. And while I think, uh, and we'll talk about this at some point, that that Rogue One is a filmic achievement of the highest level, there is something very, very rewatchable and just fun about The Force Awakens. And so I find myself putting it on more because Rogue One's super heavy and dark uh, and, and keeps getting dark up until like the final three seconds of the film. Um, but... Uh, then I latched on to comic book podcasts that I was listening to, and Avengers Age of Ultron was coming out, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at that point was still pretty good, the Netflix series were just starting to get a go-ahead in the early 2015, I think Daredevil had come out, and then I watched Jessica Jones at some point during that year and fell in love with her and the character in the show, um, and uh, you know, got into the Netflix side of things, and we knew we were getting Doctor Strange, and we knew we were getting Ant-Man. More importantly, we knew we were getting, uh, you know, uh, epic Thor movie, um, but especially, and finally, the Black Panther directed... Uh, we found out uh, soon thereafter by Ryan Coogler of Creed and Fruitvale Station fame. Um, we, we, we did know from the initial announcement that Chadwick Boseman would be playing T'Challa, and he did not let us down in Captain America Civil War and his introduction, how important he was, and what a subtle but powerful character he was. And so, as much as I love Star Wars, and I've released a whole bunch of Star Wars commentary, and I've done a follow-up or multiple follow-ups to The Force Awakens uh, with co-contributors, and I've done uh, commentary for Force Awakens, which is one of my favorite commentaries, commentary for Rogue One, which I really love. Nevertheless, uh, there's a lot else going on, and for all the Star Wars commentaries, I also have, you know, Interstellar, I have Serenity, I have Guardians of the Galaxy, other great, great, uh, the, the Star Trek reboot of 2009, uh, so, 
I think sci-fi movies, which even eclipse the new Star Wars movies to certain degrees, um, you know, although like all the things we love, the order is always going up and down in my head. However, in the back of my head, I've always known that Star Wars has my heart. And with two to three Marvel movies coming out a year, and now one to two DC movies and maybe more coming out a year, I'm just having comic book fatigue. And for the moment, Star Wars is doing the smart thing. And even though some movies are spaced 18 months apart and some are six months apart, they've only been doing one a year. And so we've got The Last Jedi Episode Eight coming out over Christmas, uh, late next spring after the first Avengers finale movie comes out, Infinity War, we're going to have the Han Solo movie, which is in turmoil seemingly right now, uh, so they say. And then in late May, I guess after another Avengers movie, um, in 2019, we're going to be getting Episode Nine, which I think is stupid. They made $2 billion uh, in The Force Awakens over Christmas. They made over $1 billion for Rogue One, which was a much darker movie that had no lightsabers, no Jedi, no Skywalkers, and no Han Solo, and still made over a billion dollars, more than half in this country, because we love Star Wars more than the rest of the world, even compared to like Pirates of the Caribbean or any of the comic book movies. And I don't know why they would give that up. However, with Star Wars Rebels being sort of a semi-continuation of Star Wars The Clone Wars, which was the one property that Lucasfilm was able to maintain as canon, or mostly canon, uh, between the prequels and the new movies, uh, and Rebels being kind of the bridge along with Rogue One on the big screen, you know, Lucasfilm has been very selective with how things have gone. And even though they really like Gareth Edwards' dark war movie direction, they did not hesitate to bring in a veteran like Tony Gilroy and some other veteran writers and producers uh, to help with major reshoots in Rogue One to make it feel more like a Star Wars movie, which at the time I lamented greatly, as you can hear on the previous Bizzlecast. Uh, but in retrospect, I totally support. And they brought in uh, Chris Miller and Stephen Lord. I, I always forget because they just go as Lord and Miller, the duo who did 21 Jump Street, uh, who produced 22 Jump Street. Both of those movies hilarious. They did the first Lego movie. They produced the Batman Lego movie, which was also hilarious, to do the Han Solo film. And Kathleen Kennedy, the shepherd of Lucasfilm and a personal close close friend almost sister of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and that whole brain trust said nope this is a comedy uh, what you guys are doing is a comedy featuring Han Solo we want a Han Solo movie that has some humor but this is too much and, and you know and Lawrence Kasdan who was you know a kid when he wrote the Empire and Return of the Jedi scripts uh, two of the greatest scripts of all time both in terms of dialogue uh, and especially a plot, um, but also the Indiana Jones scripts, which are considered maybe even more brilliant than the Star Wars scripts of the movies, as classic as they are, you know, aren't Star Wars level. You know, this is Lawrence Kasdan's final movie. He's writing it with his son, or he wrote it with his son, I should say. And they, um, you know, and the actors weren't all responding, and it just it just wasn't working. So they got rid of them. <laughs> 
after most of the major filming was done, they shut down filming, they increased the length of the reshoots, they must have these actors on ridiculous contracts where they fully control them, and, you know, they hire Ron Howard, who is second only to Steven Spielberg for both the number and high quality, um, at least within the Hollywood circles, of their movies over the last 30 plus years. You know, I mean, Ron Howard, everything from Apollo 13 to Beautiful Mind to Rush, I mean, he's just constantly churning out good movies. And even when they're not, it's not great material, like the Dan Brown, you know, Da Vinci Code series, when he directs it, it gets a good audience does well and they pass on the series it doesn't do as well um but he's known lucas since he acted in american graffiti which was a very very successful movie in the early mid 70s by george lucas that had nothing to do with science fiction at least on the surface and uh howard was in it and george lucas being a, a soft-spoken but very honest guy who likes the people that he likes, definitely took a liking to Ron Howard and was telling him about Star Wars like four or five years before it happens. Uh, Ron Howard says, "There's no way this is gonna, you know, ever come to fruition." And then little does he know, a few, you know, years later in '77, he sees it opening night, and him and his wife get back in line to see it again, like right after they saw it. Um, and he'd been a lifelong fan. He had been maybe tapped to direct a prequel movie, which I think would have been smart. I think Lucas directing, writing, producing, coming up with the whole universe and everything, and directing the prequel movies was the b- biggest mistake. Uh, I-, I think with other directors, especially those he trusted, like Ron Howard, uh, you would have a situation which would take a big mess um, and make it much more digestible. Here he is, picking up the pieces of the Han Solo movie, doing tons of reshoots to the point where it's almost like, you know, movie shoot 1.5, no one knows who's going to get the director credit, you know, how much is going to be the previously shot stuff, but, you know, this is the second of the first four Star Wars movies where there's been a major shakeup when it comes to the reshoots. Now, Gareth Edwards was totally fine for them to bring in Tony Gilroy and some vets to do uh, reshoots uh, that I still think Gareth Edwards had a part in. I think it's a little unfair the judge, how judgmental people are. Like, oh, they just dismissed Gareth Edwards after the initial shoot and redid everything. I don't think that's how it happened at all, uh, whatsoever, because he would be uh, dealing with the situation much differently if that was the case. But definitely with Lord and Miller, they fired them and they replaced them with Ron Howard, who's a legend um, in Hollywood, and who probably should have been doing this movie with Lawrence Kasdan in the first place. Um, and so I think people are actually more excited now, just not just because of the controversy, because even though you might not love all of Ron Howard's movies, you know that he is a steady director with a deft touch, and when he nails it, he totally nails it. Um, you know, Lord and Miller, I think the best we were expecting was like some fun Han Solo stories with some hilarious comedy. Now we're maybe looking at something a little bit more um, compassionate, a little bit more um, relatable, a, a, a little bit more redemptive perhaps, which is ultimately, you know, the path of Han Solo. Um, but uh, bottom line is, Disney has this all under lockdown, you know, and uh, when it comes to Lucasfilm, 
you know, less is more uh, other than occasional new animated series online or on television. I really don't want to see them release more than one a year. And, you know, some Star Wars fans have rightly pointed out that like one every two years would be great. Although I think the clamoring would be so crazy that they could never meet it. So I think every Christmas there should be a Star Wars movie because honestly, there's no major blockbuster franchise chain out there <laughs> that's more interesting or fun than Star Wars. At that time of year. And so they should just, I don't know why they don't just stake out that claim and keep doing it. And so the Bizzlecast is going to be continuing to interview really cool people, but it's definitely going to be uh, more of a Star Wars focus rather than a comic book focus over the next few months leading up till the end of the year. Because I think that. While I generally resist conformity in life, if a Star Wars movie doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie, it's a problem. And I think the fact that they took Rogue One from feeling like Saving Private Ryan, the Star Wars edition, to a a Star Wars movie with a war movie feel... In a lot of ways, in many ways, Rogue One feels more like the original trilogy than any of the prequel movies. And there's tons of prequel apologists out there, and I listen to a lot of them on podcasts, and I sympathize with why they try and justify to themselves that the prequels were good. But they were not good. And Rogue One is even more than... Even The Force Awakens mirrors the original movies in terms of plot points. In terms of feel, Rogue One is easily the closest to the original trilogy. And so that's why Rogue One is the love-hate movie. You either hate it or really don't like it because it's too dark and it's not Skywalker and it's all, you know, all these other reasons. But the people who love Rogue One put it at or just below Empire Strikes Back as the best. And it's not just because it's dark, but because it's real and because it's true. And I put it there too. I, you know, I always say, um, I should say, always say, because it's not like such a long time, but when people ask me about Star Wars stuff, because they know I love it, I say, look, The Force Awakens, you have to see. It's a continuation of the Luke, Leia, Han Solo story. There's lightsabers, there's Jedis, there's stormtroopers. It's in the future, but, you know, it's essentially the same thing. And there's a new Darth Vader called Kylo Ren, and he has a relation to them, and blah, 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 blah. You know, it, it's so fun and hilarious and rewatchable. I'm doing it right now. Um, but I can do it in pieces. Rogue One, I really have to be in the mood for. But once I start Rogue One, I just can't stop it. Um, I, I think it is a real cinematic achievement. And it goes to a theory that I've maybe espoused before, maybe we'll talk about later, that I think that the sort of multi-writer, multi director multi-stage of filming approach even though it's been sort of haphazard and by necessity so far i think might become a thing in the future where you bring in young directors to do the first half and get all sorts of interesting ideas and angles and improvisations and so forth and then you bring in the ron howards and the tony gilroy's and the lawrence kasdan's and the steven spielberg's and whoever else I mean, they've already got, you know, Colin Trevorrow of Jurassic World fame. I was supposed to write and direct episode nine. He had a bad indie movie recently. Now he's just directing, not writing, which is how it should be. And I think that Kathleen Kennedy's open willingness to just throw people in and out of the equation based on the needs of the movie to feel like a Star Wars movie is absolutely great. 
and I'm going to be talking with my buddy Amon. If it's not already out, if it's out, you'll have heard it. <laughs> but I think we're going to be more of, of the same piece of just loving everything to different levels, even being able to maybe take a few things out of the prequels, especially when you watch Clone Wars, read some of the books, and watch Rebels. You know, the prequels become important, if not good movies. Um, and the fact that The Force Awakens and Rogue One do different things good differently <laughs> um, but have tons of replayability appeal uh, the last Jedi coming up with Ryan Johnson, which is I, I meant to say the first of the four movies. I mean, even JJ uh, working with Kasdan and then JJ, you know, filming and directing Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. There was a lot of butting of heads between him and Disney. Um, and ultimately, it's JJ Abrams and Kasdan was on board, and so they took some. They took some leaps. They took some leaps in terms of Finn's character being a little too true to our life, which I loved and think I thought it was great. I don't agree with that criticisms. Uh, criticism. They took some leaps in terms of how quickly Ray not only embraced but understood like commonalities of the Force, like you know, talking, uh, convincing a stormtrooper using Force powers to let her go or whatever. Like, how would she know that? Doesn't bother me at all. It, you know, she had an accelerated development element uh based on stress and then being mind raped by kylo ren um so i'm totally cool with that uh and then kylo ren i think is already cooler than darth vader um and will by the end of this trilogy be way way more interesting and cool than darth vader and looking back it's not even going to be close there'll be sort of a fondness for vader especially with rogue one where we finally got to see him kick total ass at the end and sort of the uh star wars Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels cartoon way where he's just throwing people all over the place. That wasn't really possible until recently with special effects. Um, and so they had to do it in the cartoons. Lucas couldn't even get away with that Super Jedi, you know, comic book power stuff uh, uh, in the prequels to a certain extent. Uh, so he saw Vader kick ass. But I think it'll be sort of a quaint loving, you know, of him being Darth Vader. But Kylo Ren will be like, if you're really trying to, you know, portray a bad guy and inhabit a bad guy, he is going to be the one, no doubt about it. So I think Star Wars is actually in a great place. And so I figured I'd go back to my roots because, honestly, I've had great contributors over the last two and a half plus years. Recently, Brick Girl talking about Wonder Woman and Batgirl and DC Comics and comic book uh, movies and TV in general has been awesome. Um, but uh, to be honest, I'm just getting comic book fatigue. And the thing I keep coming back to is Star Wars and the Star Wars Expanded Universe or whatever they call it these days um because they have some great great sci-fi um writers working on books and comic books and so forth and the fact that Kanan Jarrus uh from the Star Wars Rebels cartoon on Disney voiced by Freddie Prince Jr. is one of my favorite characters of all time in Star Wars and I never thought I would watch a Star Wars cartoon on Disney XD or whatever uh it just proves the fucking point um about the, you know the, the play that it holds in my mind and you know how every attempt at writing science fiction and or fantasy that I do is just continually overshadowed um, you know in my own universe by um, by Star Wars and just the effortless uh, combination of science fiction and fantasy and myth 
that Lucas accomplished and that no amount of bizarre fucking upness with the prequels and other things uh, could could stop. You know, why why playing X-Wing and TIE Fighter on the computer with my flight stick in the 90s was so great. It was a great game, but because it was Star Wars and, there, you know, there, you were progressing up the Empire or the Rebels, depending on what game you were playing, and, you know, the extra meaning there. Um, and I think also because of the spirituality of the Force and actually the the sort of uh, naked and simplistic, you know, sort of meta uh, spirituality of the Force that's almost too easy to understand, even though they act like it's so hard. That's the big conceit, you know. I mean, Yoda and... Kenobi and Kanan Jarrus and, and and then Kenobi to Anakin and so forth. Um, uh, Qui-Gon. The lessons that they're trying to impart are so easy for anyone to understand when they hear it, but then you realize that that's actually how real spiritual training works. I mean, if you go to a yoga ashram, you're going to hear stuff very similar to the Jedi. It's a little more developed, a little more complicated, but it it's basically like, I'm going to tell you something wise about how to improve yourself, but it doesn't matter that you hear it. To be able to practice it, understand it, and experience it, and live it is a whole different experience. And I think that that spirituality, as well as the accessibility of this spirituality, where I have friends who are much younger, um, who never got into the original trilogy, who never got into the prequels, but who have seen the recent stuff and they love Ray and they love Jin and they love Finn and they love Poe and they love Leia and Han and Luke and everything and they've gone back and watched the original trilogy I always talk about, you know, unlike the DC and Marvel movies, you don't have to see any of these other films. You don't have to see the Avengers or Justice League or Batman v Superman or, you know, Iron Man 1 or go back and read the comics. You can literally just see one Star Wars movie or two Star Wars movies or a Star Wars movie and a couple episodes of Star Wars Rebels on TV and really get a sense of... Um, how momentous uh, and powerful, but just accessible the whole thing is. And so I, I said, you know what? You know, it's been, I'm going to be going on three years. Well, it's still like two and a half years. I, it's not going to be till early next spring. That'll be three years of the Bizzle cast. But, you know, it's early enough that I can still take some new directions um, or revisit some old directions, as it were. And I just think that from a mythological standpoint and a societal standpoint, you know, there, there's something about Star Wars that's way more powerful than any of the Marvel or DC films out there. I don't care how much money they make. Or, you know, I mean, the fact that a dinosaur movie with very little substance, Jurassic World, no offense, Chris Pratt, I love you, but let's be honest, you know, beats both Avengers movies because it's dinosaurs and it's Jurassic Park. Um, and, and with all of the hype and the toys and the love and the everything that Force Awakens would make $2 billion to Jurassic World's $1.6 is still a great accomplishment, especially with the largest domestic haul ever, even beating Avatar and uh, Titanic, which beat it worldwide. Um, 
but, you know, to make a billion domestically had never been done, even close before. And, and yet to be so close to Jurassic World just begs the question of what people are looking for. But because of the sale of the toys and the books and the coloring books and the games and the everything, you know, the, the, the love, it doesn't matter what people see in the theater, you know. People may have gone to see Jurassic World in the theater because the 3D experience was cool, but you know most likely i mean i was on a plane flight you know like a family flight to europe a couple months ago the the main movie playing i happen to be in first class which is really snobby and i apologize but it's a long story i happen to be first class but i did see what the main cabin was being shown on the tvs that came down it was rogue one it was rogue fucking one as dark as it is you know people want to see star wars and so i'm going to talk about it but I'm going to talk about it with really cool people. I can talk about it with my dad, who only knows what I tell him, uh, though he loves seeing the new movies with me, especially Rogue One. My mom and my dad were very emotionally affected by Rogue One. Um, but I'll also watch the Forces of Destiny little mini cartoons that I show them online. Um, I'm going to talk with my buddy Amon. I'm going to talk with Dietz, who you guys know. I'm going to talk with some other people. Um, maybe re-release some commentaries. Maybe do some new commentaries. Uh, you should definitely check out my Force Awakens and Rogue One commentary. And, uh, you know, it, it's tough because I listen to a ton of Star Wars podcasts, many of which are pretty good. Um, and so I don't want to repeat things because if you want news, you go to the Star Wars Underworld podcast. You go to Full of Sith uh, podcast. Star Wars Report is pretty solid. Uh, even though it's every only really once a month, they do like three and a half hour podcasts at the saga continues. Those two guys are great. I just, cause I just love doing long podcasts with another guy or another girl that I'm just good buddies with. I don't care if it's three hours. And I love that they just keep pushing the, the length of their podcast, but it's pretty gripping and really interesting and talking about the extended literature and the video games, the cartoons and the articles and everything. That stuff's out there. So I'm going to be doing some topics about Star Wars, influence on the culture, Star Wars, and materialism, uh, the philosophy of the Force in Star Wars, and many, many more. So look forward to that. Thank you so much for sticking with me up until this point. It's really meant a lot. I've almost quit the podcasting business many times just because I love doing the recordings, but I mostly like talking with other people. And even though my my solo stuff, especially my commentaries, do very well, and so thank you guys out there for watching my uh, listening to my commentaries. Um, I, I prefer to talk to other people, but only if they're really into it. And so it's hard to find those kind of people who are willing to put themselves out there on the record and so whether it's matt or brick girl or aaron slavutin or whoever i really appreciate those those people and i'm always looking for new people and have some new great guests coming up so thank you again may the force be with you cannot wait for the last jedi um but just love the star wars conversation i'm gonna do a quick podcast actually on star wars reading because i never read the expanded universe back in the day because i thought it was a little simplistic from a writing standpoint which it is i mean it's not like reading asimov or frank herbert for god's sakes but you know or neil stevenson these days for example or neil gaiman but um but now that it's all canon 
And they have a story group with Dave Filoni uh, and Pablo Hidalgo of Star Wars Rebels fame and other things. And, you know, a whole, a whole bunch of the brain trust of men and women to make sure all the stories in the canon make sense with one another. And they've done a good job with it. And they've gotten really good writers um, to, to write a lot of these things. Um, and so I'm going to do a little book review of some of the books uh, that have been released uh, in the Star Wars canon since. Disney bought it and officially established a new universe um, from a book standpoint and from a comic standpoint. Um, but mostly you can talk again about bigger issues about Star Wars and society, and especially during like the Trump era, um, how uh, you know relevant it is and is tr- is problematic and troubled as the prequels clearly are. If you think that Lucas was already developing The Phantom Menace in 95, 96, 97 for a 99 release and planning out the whole prequel trilogy and the fact that you'd have a senator create a fake war that he was manipulating both sides of to propel him into being the Supreme Chancellor and then the Emperor create an emergency situation of warfare and scare people into giving him all the power is pretty brilliant. Because, it, I mean, it's brilliant in terms of predicting Bush, uh, which happened almost a decade after he started planning uh, The Phantom Menace and the whole trilogy. You know, in 2005, when the final movie, which had been planned out many years in advance, Revenge of the Sith, Episode 3, came out. By then, it was almost cliched because he was so ahead of the curve when it came to Bush's, you know, wartime Patriot Act thing. But in terms of predicting what's going on with Trump now, which is more subtle, but way more psychologically and politically and sociologically disturbing, um, it really, uh, you know, kind of jives with, with what Lucas was, was thinking about all those years ago. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, thank you all again, and uh, you'll be hearing from me soon. Uh, re Star Wars, and of course, other topics. Bizzle out.